Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Valley. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by the Ryan Lindner. Good afternoon to you, sir. Well, good morning, I should say. Good afternoon. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, listen, coming all the way across the Atlantic today. So uh, to give everyone a bit of background or our listeners today. So Ryan is a personal development specialist who's worked as a behavioral coach for clients and top organizations all over the world. After two sudden unexplained cardiac arrests at a young age, he began to explore different perspective with clients that comes with any profound life-changing event. If you aren't living, you're dying. It was, wasn't uncommon for Ryan to teeter on unconsciousness, even at times while working with a client, requiring him to prioritize his own energy and time masterfully and assisting clients to do the same. Ryan has conducted thousands of coaching sessions, has led organizations, uh, operations sorry, for major leadership and organizational change company, and manages uh, learning and development projects for companies to reshape their customer experience. Ryan, awesome to have you on the show. That's quite a that's quite an achievement that you have there. So thank you first of all for coming on. I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to chat. And uh, yeah, tell us first of all, what what does fire in the belly mean to Ryan? Then what's it all about? Uh, it's just about connecting with people and making uh, having impact. That's all. And and hopefully there's things that resonate with people that make them think of things differently, have a different perspective. Uh, I've worked with you know, a lot of different types of clients over the years. I've had psychologists of clients. I've had military leaders. I've had, uh, executive CEOs. And, uh, it was funny because the first time I had a client, uh, who's a psychologist, I kind of thought to myself, aren't they supposed to have it all figured out, you know, as a psychologist. Right. But I realized quickly that, you know, we're all just people and, uh, you know, we're all working on something and, uh, and we can't always see ourselves. We can't always see ourselves. So that's really my job is to, you know, work with people to see their blind spots and to, um, you know, just kind of, kind of reshape the way they view certain things and, and, uh, and move forward with their goals. That's really interesting. Cause I mean, our, our truth is our truth, right? That's the, our truth is the truth as far as we're concerned. And <laughs> it's, yeah. Why, why can we not see our blind spots, do you think? I think it requires us to do something that we're not used to, which is just pause for a moment. And, and really, um, I think it requires self-awareness. And that's often something you can't, um, you can't always train people to do. They have to find it on their own in some ways. Um, they have to go through, you know, a life shift or life transformation. And, um, and that's really the crux of what I help people do is, you know, I specialize in transitions. So, um, helping people with, uh, maybe a career change, maybe, um, a lot of my, my clients have felt overwhelmed, uh, super busy, stressed, 
and they feel like they're just kind of on that, that hamster wheel and, uh, and you know, where, where can they go from there? And if you, if you give someone, you know, a lot of times I can see the solution for somebody plain as day, I can see a solution right in front of them. But what happens is as a coach, if you give someone a list of 20, 20 suggestions, they're going to give you 20 reasons why each of those won't work. You know, uh, Oh yeah, I've got to finish this before I get to that. I've got a, I'm so busy. I don't have time for that. They'll give you 20, a list of 20 things. So it's really about, um, um, having, helping people get unstuck with that and, uh, and really look more at the, how, how are they going to shift and really look at things different? Cause again, I can see the solution right in front of them, but they just, they can't see it. So, um, yeah. Interestingly, I mean, you talk about transition is transition and transformation. Are they one and the same for you? I, I think there's a lot of overlap there for sure. I mean, I think, um, I think you can, but, but I don't think they're exactly the same for me anyway. I think if you can transition to something, but your life more or less is going to be, it could be the same, you know, you could, and everyone is, you know, I've seen, and, and, you know, I've worked with, um, a lot of clients one-on-one thousands. And then I've also worked with big organizations helping sort of retrain them. Um, and that's more of what I do now, but, um, transformation to me is a, I love that word. And it's really something that has shifted in terms of the way you, you view things, um, that that's had a dramatic impact on your life. So, um, I always tell people this example, um, you can help a hoarder, uh, get organized. You can help them clean. You can, you know, have an expert go in and help them. And they'll have the cleanest house after that. But you know what? They'll be hoarding again in a week uh, unless they, they transform the way they approach their lives. And I think that's the problem with a lot of self-help uh, or shelf help, as I sometimes call it, is it just sort of sits on your shelf, is there's so many uh, resources that give you, here's 10 steps to do this. Here's 15 steps to get more organized, to achieve your dreams, to do this. And it's always, it's so interesting to me because a lot of my clients, you know, they come to me and they say, you know what? I've read all the books. I've read all those self-help books and, uh, (laughs) and here I am. So, you know, if you have 10 different gurus, they're going to give you 10 different methods of the way, you know, the way that they say, you know, this is the way to do it. And it's the right way. And so for, for me, it's really about helping people explore what will actually work for them. And it really is that, that transformation that has to take place in terms of, you know, getting to the root cause of things and not just treating a symptom, which a lot of self-help does. And so for me, it's really, again, it comes back to, we can't see ourselves. And, and then how do we, how do we do that? Well, that, I mean, that's interesting because you get, I mean, uh, and I always hear people sort of saying you get inspiration, motivation, which are nice, right? But short term, I can motivate you, but that's going to wear off this afternoon or tomorrow or wherever, right? Um, but as you say, the transformation is the bit that actually that fundamentally essentially changes who you are, changes your DNA, et cetera, right? Exactly. You're, you're absolutely right. And most often, uh, and 
what, what you see when some, someone goes through a major life change. Um, it's usually something that awakens them, a catalyst of some sort. In, in other words, like when someone goes through a trauma, they get in a car accident, right? What do they do? They are present for a moment and they say, whoa, I need to reevaluate my life. That was close. Or maybe they lose a loved one, or maybe, um, maybe they were, they've been in a career for many years and they got, you know, uh, laid off or something, just something really major happens and it causes them to reflect. And most people do not reflect to that degree on a daily basis. Um, you know, when you're in an ICU or when you're in the hospital, you're, you're not thinking about all your little problems. You're not thinking about, uh, mowing the grass or, uh, any of the little work dramas you are thinking about, whoa, I'm in the hospital and what's important to me and, and, and those types of things. Um, and often, you know, you don't need a trauma for, for that sort of shift, but usually when we are faced with something really, you know, um, that reminds us we're people and our lives are short. When you have a reminder like that, it, it usually people who make dramatic shifts go through something like that, that I've seen. Do you think, I mean, do you, and I've heard this expression where people say, you know, in your, in your darkest hour comes your brightest moment. And is it that, do we, do we kind of have to feel our own pain or actually also see, see the darkest moment then give us that contrast? You know, as you say, it's the hospital moment, it's the bottoming out, it's the desperation moment or an opposite of type, you know, is that the, the sort of where we have to go to, to, to have this transformation? I don't think it's needed. It's necessary, but I think that is often the case. Um, it, you know, I've seen people make dr really dramatic transformations and something just clicked with them. Something resonated with them and they made a shift, but, uh, mostly, um, it is common to have it be, um, you know, something big like that, 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 because again, we you know we can't see ourselves. So we're sort of stuck in this living for tomorrow type of thing. And tomorrow, of course, you know, we're going to, you know, resolve, it'll be better and we'll be better able to, um, to make changes. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately it is, you know, generally something big that happens that, that causes change. doesn't have to be though. doesn't have to be. What was the case for you then? I mean, have you always been this way? Have you always had this clarity or is it, you know, have you had sort of defining and changing moments in your life that have brought you to where you are today? Yeah. So I, I grew up and I had, um, I'm very introverted and most of my clients would probably be surprised with that, but, um, very introverted, grew up with really bad anxiety. And I always sort of gravitated towards wellness and most, mostly cause it, uh, it helped me, you know, I had a really hard time, um, you know, certainly in public and, and public speaking and, and, you know, a lot of people suffer with that, but mine was really, really bad. And uh, socially at times, uh, especially in groups, I really did struggle. And I just was drawn to sort of wellness and, um, and over the years, um, I actually found what, what I would call at the time, my dream job, right? I, I was, I got my first actual coaching job and I never set out to be a coach. I didn't know that was an option. I didn't know that was a career. And so I spent many years sort of 
trying to find myself, whatever that means. And, um, I realized that yourself is never someone you can find. The, that person is, it's just someone you allow. It's someone you allow. And I discovered that a, a lot too, working with so many different types of clients is we're all sort of chasing these visions of ourselves that is better than the person where we are. If I do this, I'll be better. If I do that, I'll be better. Um, and I think I overcame and I'm, I speak in front of huge groups all the time. I overcame that only when I, only when I owned it, I owned who I was and said, you know, maybe me being introverted and having anxiety, maybe there's nothing to fix there. Ooh, that's interesting. Maybe if I don't have anything to fix and maybe I even like it about myself, I love it about myself that I'm introverted because I know a lot of introverts who are great leaders. They're introspective. They are great listeners. Um, and maybe I like it. Maybe I, I like that. And once I owned it and stopped treating it as something to be fixed, a lot of those issues went away. So anyway, I was drawn to coaching. And I was a coach for maybe a month and I had a cardiac arrest, my first of, of two. And again, I, I explained, you know, my history of wellness, you know, non-smoker slept well, eat, eat well, you know, um, uh, wellness was my thing, no family history. And I just sort of randomly dropped right there. And at the time I didn't have any benefits. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have paid time off or anything. So I was back at work five days later. Um, you know, I had, I had a, a pacemaker installed and, um, I was connected to all these wires in this session. And I just remember this lady I was talking to, and she was one of the ones I was describing where she was just sort of stuck in these she, she was trying to achieve, she was trying to start this business and trying to manage a household, which is all fair. It's all, it's very busy lifestyle, but she was very, um, lost in her own mental chatter. And I just remember thinking, you know, her problems sound so different now after my cardiac arrest, because I was just trying to stay conscious. Like I was kind of my vision was going and I had this condition where I'm like dizzy 24 seven. And, um, I've been a specialist all over the, all, all over the place. But, um, when you have to manage your energy and that's all time management is just managing your own energy. When I had to manage my energy after going, you know, I went through a trauma and then I found myself, I had to manage my energy. Suddenly I didn't have time for the problems. I didn't have time to worry about those types of things. And my life dramatically shifted after that and, and, and sessions shifted as well. I find that, I mean, suppose going back a bit, it's just owning your introversion. Instead of saying, oh, this is per me, or this is, this is a weakness or it is, it's just accepting and saying, it is, full stop. It is, it is. And I think people, 
people say, oh yeah, I believe in self-acceptance and I do accept myself, but they don't always reflect that. They don't always do that. Um, it's just like when I ask people about their priorities in life, most people know it. Most people know it's a priority. Oh, my family, my, these are my goals, but they don't reflect it. They don't actually do that. Again, we can't see ourselves. So they, they don't do those things. And, and, um, yeah, you're right. They, they, uh, yeah, it just comes back to, you know, we can't see ourselves and, and, uh, yeah. So I love, I love that because, you know, so many people are saying, you know, are you capable of more? Could you have done more? I said, oh yeah, yeah. Listen. Oh yeah. And so it's like, what more do we need to say here? <laughs> so your people are saying, oh, I'm doing everything I can. Could you do more? Are you capable of more? What are you capable of? So much more. Okay. So what's, what's, what's going on here then? What's the difference? And as you say, I love what you said at the very start, you talked about impact and perspective, right? Well, you're right. And it remind you reminded me of, so, you know, I might have, it's like that saying, you reminded me of a saying it's, you want something done, give it to a busy person. And, you know, I, I would have clients and I have to laugh at it. Now I have clients who are like, swear they're so busy and they don't have time to, to do something. But I'm thinking, well, right now you're unemployed. You sleep in pretty late, you know, but if you ask them, they're stressed to the max. Likewise, you know, I've had clients, I've had, you know, single moms with five kids who have stressful careers and they are go-getters, you know, and then they're going out and getting stuff done. And I'm not saying that people aren't legitimately busy because they are, but a lot of it, if you believe that you're stuck and you don't have time, then that's true. If you believe, you know, and, and if you get lost in the, in the fact that, yes, I'm stuck and I'm busy and I can't, I don't have time for this, then that's, you know, that's true for you and, and you're not going to get anywhere. So you, you don't want to lose the how, the how am I going to do this? How, it's like when I go to the, um, a lot of people have fitness goals or health goals or whatever. I remember one day uh, we had real bad, uh, uh, it was starting to snow and ice, ice real bad. <clears throat> and, uh, my first thought was, Oh no, the, the gym might close early. <laughs> that was my first thought. And so I need to figure out a way to get in there. Um, because uh, around where, where I live, I live near a, a beach and, um, we don't see that stuff. So the minute there's a snowflake, everyone thinks shuts down and people go into their bunkers and, um, and gyms close. And I thought, well, if I want to work out today and I have that commitment to my own health, uh, I need to, to shift some things and get in there. Well, I did, I, I shifted my schedule and I went to work out and I noticed in the gym that everybody was a familiar face. There weren't many people there. Everyone was a familiar face. And what I took away was the only people in the gym were regulars and that's because they're regular. In other words, the people that have that as a positive habit, a priority, they figured out a way to make that happen. They rearranged something. They, they figured out a way to make it happen. The people that were looking for a way out, they're the ones, you know, the people that, you know, said, oh, it's snowing. I can't, I can't do it. 
that was true for them and and they didn't make it happen. So again, it's just how, how you look at it in, in terms of, of making it happen. It's that, it's really interesting, isn't it? How certain things will motivate people to it being an absolute must as in I'll find a way, whatever else it is, you know, it's that sort of, it's that focus of that determination of thought as opposed to, yeah, it's a good idea or I could do that or, yeah, I, I started it, but I didn't finish it, right? So they're just two different, completely different energies, right? You're right. And it, it, if you look at people who are successful, um, and I work a lot with, uh, uh, say, career transitions, the amount of rejection someone gets either it's a big goal, maybe a business goal, maybe a, a certain type of, of job you were looking for. There's a lot of rejection involved. And when you look at someone successful, you don't know what they went through to get to that point. Um, I remember Oprah Winfrey was called unfit for TV one, Stephen King, the author, he was rejected a ton of times. Um, I mean, there's just a ton of people I, I, uh, that, that are, are well known that have gone through a whole bunch of rejection that people look at and go, wow, they're successful. And so when I help people with, with transitions, say career, it's all about your approach to it and the, the way you, you view those types of things, the way you view the rejection and, and what you do from there. It's about figuring it out. It's about the how. And you, you take a, it's, it's the law of averages, right? If you continually get better and every single piece of feedback you get, say you got rejected from a job, a job application, you devour the feedback. You have to detach from the outcome, detach from the outcome, it's no reflection on you as a person, the rejection, devour the feedback and do it again. You get rejected again, again, detach from the outcome devour the feedback, do it again. And you do it again and again, and you keep getting better and better. And eventually all it takes is one. Yes. All it takes is one. Yes. And then you're off to the races. So. I mean, I think it, <laughs> Egoically, are we totally sort of self-hypocritical? Because as you say, that, well, that one rejection feels like everything, but then on the other aspect, when we're choosing, we want nothing but the best, right? So we're self being self-hypocritical and going, well, no, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want that, you know, here's what I want, right? So on one hand, we are, <laughs> we're the one that's inflicting the, 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 the rejection, you know, say, well, I don't want that job, or I don't want to date that person, or I don't want that food, or whatever, right? So saying, no, this is what I want, and, and we're we're ruthless. But then, when it comes to the other side, when we're sort of open and we're vulnerable to, you know, this connection to others or this approval or whatever else, then suddenly we get, you know, we're we're like a wallflower. We get one rejection. It's like, oh, must my personal, you know, right? So what is it, right? Is that not self-hypocritical? Do you think? Uh, it is. And see, we don't know we're doing it right. It's that mental chatter. Um, and you remind me, like when I work with people who've been rejected a lot and, and oftentimes I've worked with people who are executives now and they've been rejected hundreds of times, thousands even. And you know, if you've been rejected 384 times, number 385, it's, it's just not, not a big deal for you. But sometimes you have to take that risk. You have to detach enough to say, 
the, any rejection has no bearing on my, my value as a person, you know? So it, to your point, it's all about that sort of mental chatter. And what a lot of people do who are stuck is they say, Oh, this rejection, it's, it has a reflection on me and they jump to conclusions. They jump, they have assumptions, but again, detachment just means that you don't get in the weeds, you know, in your head, you don't, um, let that internal dialogue kick in where you're like, Oh gosh, I'm a, I'm a loser. I got rejected. Cause I'm no good. You don't know what happened. You don't know what happened now. Oftentimes, and I've worked with leaders in HR and, and so forth. I know what happens sometimes, you know, suppose that company, they decided to hire from within. Okay. Maybe the timing was bad. Maybe you applied for the role at the very end of the hiring cycle. And they already had someone it's like, you know, looking for a job is kind of like dating. You know, you, you're, you're this, this company went on 10 dates with this one person. They have feelings for them and they just met you. So, you know, they're, they're um, more likely to get the job and, you know, you just don't know. And, and also maybe they had 900 applicants, 900. Would it make you feel better to know that you were number two? You still didn't get the job, of course. But if you knew you were number two out of 900, you probably wouldn't feel like a loser, is my guess. Like It's like the valedictorian of a university or whatever. They, they have the best grades. Well, if you're number two, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. You're still not number one, but there's still no shame in it. But again, you would feel better knowing you were number two. And the second choice, rather than the number 745, in terms of your self-esteem. So you just don't know what happened, but what we do in terms of a mental dialogue is we go down this rabbit hole of, oh man, I, I'm a loser and this and that. And we don't realize that successful people, look, we all feel like frauds at one point or another. I, I was doing a session with this executive once and he was talking about imposter syndrome and how he sometimes feels like he was a COO of a, of a big company and he was super smart. He is super smart. And he was just saying, you know, I don't always have it all figured out. I, he said, just to be honest with you, I, I, you know, we all feel like imposters at one point or another, because the, the, the question is, can you be okay with that? Can you be confident in your not knowing in your uncertainty, in your lack of confidence. Can you be confident in that? Can you be confident that you will figure it out? You don't have to, you know, know everything, right? And I think that's what those resilient people do is they get a rejection and they say, no worries. You know, it happens. I, I I'm not going to get lost in you know, I have no, you know, I'm not going to, um, <clears throat> engage in the mental dialogue of, um, you just don't know what happened. Right. So the best thing they can do is learn from it, move on, you know, and, and let go of, of outcomes. It's that aspect. And I'm, I'm trying to work out here. I mean, you have failure, which will slow you down, you know, or, you know, in fact, it'll potentially move you backwards. There's the aspect then of getting okay with it and just accepting it. So neutralizing the energy. And then it's, you know, 
what's more important here? Is it neutralizing the energy or can you take it a step further or two steps further and say, I actually feed on failure. You know, that, that is my fuel source as opposed to being my, my stopper, my blocks, whatever, and saying, or is, is it just enough to be okay with it? Or can you make it a, a fuel or a source of energy for you? I think it definitely can be a source of energy. I, I would say to that, I would say failing doesn't make you a failure. A failure is this person you've created that regardless of any circumstance you're in is a failure. You've created that person. And that's a story. That's a, a story you're telling yourself. Whereas fail, failing doesn't do that. Okay, I failed at this one thing. Am I a failure? Is that how I'm defining myself now? Am I a failure? And so, yeah, I mean, there's, I, I can see that being a, a useful like energy in terms of um, a drive to, again, figure it out collect the right information and do it again and do it again. It's like practice, but I, I'm intrigued by the word failure because it, it's almost like we've created ourselves in, into that. It's a story and that's it. And that's not who you are. And you're not the successful person either. You are a person and you you know, our whole lives are some total of little micro decisions we make every day. And there are so many factors at play to determine, you know, if you're successful with something. Um, if you're looking for an, a, a certain type of role, for example, employers care about two things. Number one, can you do the job? Number two, would they like to work with you? Do they like you? And again, you, you just don't know what all the factors are in, are involved with that. So the best thing you can do is don't define things. Don't rush into that because they're just assumptions. That's all it is. And again, what, how can you get better, you know, and, and just, just keep going and you will, it's a law of averages. You will, at some point you, you will again, take, just takes that one. Yes. It's not a thing. I mean, it sort of reminds me of it's like Thomas Edison, I think it was, you know, and they're sort of saying it took a thousand goes to get the light bulb, you know, and you kind of think, pretty sure on the 990th go, people were sort of saying, do you know what, Thomas, just give it up, buddy. You're, you're mad. You're, you're chasing, you're chasing clouds. You're, you're crazy, right? But then when the failure or the, the failure is an opportunity to learn is switched into the possibility, then yeah, on the whatever it is, thousands, thousands go where success comes, then that experience or that perspective changes everything, right? And saying, yeah, I love it because now I had to do it a thousand times to get it right. You know, before that, before that experience of that switch, it was hard work. It was impossible. It was never ending. It was everything. And then as soon as you get that bite of experience or success or whatever, then suddenly it's like, yeah, that's, that's the price you pay. Fantastic. You know, I would say like in that case, like it takes a special person, like what a lot of people do is they pull you into their fear. Um, and like, if you have a big goal, right. And, and you have, you know, um, the people you tend to have the most shared history with, they want the best for you, of course. And they, they care about you, but oftentimes without realizing a lot of people do pull you into their fear a little bit 
and it's the fear of the unknown. It's a fear of risk. And so they're going to, most people gravitate towards familiarity. They do. And rejection is not a comfortable feeling for them. So what do they do? They're going to go back to the safety of familiarity. And that's why a lot of people do not, they don't take those big risks. Well, those big risks are really necessary to learn what you need to learn to get to, to that place. So I imagine Edison, you know, a thousand times or, or whatever, you know, what were people saying? Um, I think it takes a special person, like what in his mind or anyone else who's successful, what, what makes, what was different there? Because it would be, it would, it would have been so easy to give up, right? It'd been so easy to say, Oh, you know, um, why bother? It's not worth it. And even in my own career, like there were times I just thought, you know, I, I would say when I found my footing, it was later than all of my peers in terms of where I really found where I shined in my career and what I was interested in. I was never one to want to work in the corporate environment, really. It, it just felt like a stuffy culture kind of thing. And what I was interested in didn't pay a lot. So I would always try to create my own business and this and that. And the amount of rejection failure I experienced was insane. I mean, I mean, and for a long time, this was many years ago, I, I would just to make ends meet, I was like doing every odd job I could. I was, you know, I painted fences, I made trinkets and sold them. I sold, uh, I actually sold some artwork, which was fun for a while. I waited tables. I, I mean, I did every 30 different types of jobs, not an exaggeration. Um, and it was easy for me to look at my peers and say, they're ahead of me. <clears throat> they make more money than me. And so there must e either I, I'm don't have it figured out either. I'm dumb either. Maybe I'm just a loser. And, and I, I've, I've gone there several times, gone to that mental place. And what I, I would say is once I found my footing and mo most of our ideal roles or jobs are, is something we fall into, right? It's something we can't, we don't know exists. That, that's the way it happens a lot. So once I said, you know, this comparison thing, you know, the, the saying is, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. And I, and, and that is true. It's, it, it didn't help me. And once I realized, look, you don't know how your story plays out, <clears throat> you know, there, and, and then once I found my footing and my income increased, and then I look at my friend and maybe he was going through a rough time in his life. And I was the one that he said, Whoa, Ryan, look at him, you know? So again, you, you just, you know, life is ebbs and flows and, and you don't know how your story plays out. You don't know how their story plays out. So again, it's that, that mental chatter that really keeps you in that place where you're uh, incorrectly defining yourself, you know? It's interesting saying you were sort of later than later than your sort of peers around you to define what you are, who you are, and what you're doing. But I mean, I would almost argue the opposite. I mean, how many people actually genuinely are doing what they want to do, what they love to do, you know, and, and how many people are just doing it? So it's like, 
you know, they, they are working to then go live as opposed to, you know, they're living to, to work and, and, you know, the, the work fills them up as opposed to draining them down, you know, and I don't know, it's, it's, it's a rhetorical question maybe, but how many people love what they do? I think very few. I, I think that, well, there's, there are people that have that love what they do in the bubble of familiarity. So they maybe had some goals or dreams, but they have settled into this lifestyle where it's like, ah, it's good enough kind of thing. And that's fine. You know, again, it's, if it's true for them, they create their, their true truth there, but often, you know, they, they, if they could do anything, and I'm not saying we can do anything that, you know, you want, I I don't believe that per se. Like I'd love to play professional football, but that's probably not going to happen. But, um, I, I believe it's that in the bubble of familiarity, people get to this place where they're maybe complacent or they're accepting of that situation, but you don't, most people do not know what's possible or they do not know how they're speaking in, in, in their heads in ways that would, would hold them back. And, and what would life look like if they didn't do that? Um, now, now one thing I want to add is I, I don't think I, I'm not an advocate of people, um, defining themselves through roles. You know, most people think they're a role and not a person. They, they, you know, you meet somebody and they say, um, and you introduce yourself and they're going to just give you their resume. Oh, so what do you do? Oh, I do this and I do this and I do this. And they're going to give you a whole bunch of stuff that they do. Now I would argue that that's not actually who you are. Those are just maybe extensions of who you are, you know? Um, but once you stop thinking of yourself as a role and, and, and a person, and really open your mind to what would make you say at the end of life, I have fully explored that life, fully explored. Because when you ask people what they think their purpose in life is, they're going to give you another role. Oh, my purpose in life is to be a nurse because I want to help people. Well, nursing, and I, I know a lot of nurses and they're, you know, the, the ones I know are fantastic. And that's great. But nursing is a role. It's what does the nurse do? What, what, and, and you can do that if you're not a nurse, right? You can do those same types of things. You can help other people. And once you realize that your purpose in life is, is to explore it and explore who you are in life, that's the purpose. It's not a role. It's not, you know, you may never define yourself and that's good. That's a good thing. Um, you may never define yourself. Um, it's about exploring who that person is. And I think once people realize that rejection and, and all that, that's a part of that journey. Um, and they say, you know what, this is just me. Every, every day is an experiment. Every day is trial and error. I'm just trying to explore this person that, you know, I, I think that's a beautiful thing. What what stage are you at personally then in terms of exploring and in terms of knowing yourself and your purpose, your life's mission or meaning, if you like? I am comfortable saying that I don't fully know myself. And I, I think that's a healthy way to, to think because 
otherwise you put yourself in a box and, and, you know, for people say, Oh, that's, you know, I, I'm, I, I know myself and, and what I've, what I've learned, especially working with lots of clients and, you know, people going through, let's say going through a really nasty divorce and custody battle. I've seen people do things that they would normally that are uncharacteristic of them. You never knew they were capable of that. And unless you have been in every circumstance, I think all of us, we don't know exactly how we would be in every situation. Um, and you also look back in your past and you say, well, how have I changed over the years? How have different situations changed me? My, my cardiac arrest kind of changed the way I look at things. So what if something happened tomorrow? Hopefully it's a good thing. What if that changes my view of, or what I've learned about me? So again, you don't know how your story plays out. And I think life is the journey of, of learning that person. But could, could I say now I know who I am? No, not, not at all. Um, yeah, you know, I, 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 I've seen some tendencies that I have, and by no means do I ever tell people I have it all figured out. Even if I'm a coach, I, I, I am just a person working on things. And I think being aware of them is the, the best thing I can do. And let me give you an example. Cause you, you mentioned something earlier that really triggered something for me. It, you mentioned the whole idea of being like a hypocrite, a kind of, kind of, um, I once had a, 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 just a wonderful leader, um, for a big leadership company. And her concern that she shared with me was that she was concerned that people were viewing her as a hypocrite. In other words, like she would, as a leader and she worked for a leadership company. So she was supposed to be like a cultural expert in business and how to get the best from people and all that. And she said, you know, I'm worried people think I'm a hypocrite because I'm preaching all this stuff. And what if I, what if they're like, oh man, this lady doesn't have it figured out. What, you know, she was always worried that people were, were thinking she wasn't practicing what she was preaching. And my response was by the mere fact that you are able to look at that and be concerned about that means you are not a hypocrite because it's not about getting it perfect. And it's not about figuring it all out. It's about being open to it. It's about being open to getting better. It's about being open to stepping back and looking at yourself. It's about, and, and it's not about getting it perfect. Right. And I think that openness, it is so rare in leaders. Um, one thing I did for, for many years is I tracked turnover in companies so I could see if there was like a cultural component to that. And no bad leader thinks it's them. They, they point to like 50 different circumstances for why people are leaving the company. And I think you don't have to be the best leader ever or be like a guru, but just self-awareness. It's that one thing that can't always be taught, you know, and the best leaders, they're just open to it. You know, they ask for more feedback. They say, you know, how, how can I help? You know, they, they're just, it's a different approach, you know? It's so interesting because it actually loops back nicely to what you were saying earlier about, you know, our truth, you know, that's just, 
my, my truth is perfect. What's wrong with yours? <laughs> it's like, and everyone's truth is right. You know, cause we're, <clears throat> I'm not the problem here. You know, it's like, I don't know what's wrong with all these people. It's like, I know people keep leaving me, but what's, what's wrong with each of them? You know, it's like, how many people can be wrong till eventually you go, maybe I am the problem. Maybe there's, maybe my story or maybe something's, my truth is not quite correct here, right? So it's that, it's that having that hindsight, is it hindsight or that uh, two words used at the very start, again, is impact and perspective. It's having that perspective to look at your own perspective, to see your own truth or to question your own truth, right? You're right. and. What I've seen, and I sometimes I'm just dumbfounded because, you know, I would see people and companies leave in exodus. Like there were just like tons of people leaving, and the leader, or the leader I'm thinking of, just it, it just I was wondering like at what point, and I don't know that I have the answer to this. At what point do you say, "Wow, I wonder if it's me"? You know, I I I don't know. I don't think this leader got to that point. Um, you know, they thought it was, oh, it's the industry, it's this and that and the other, but they are looking for reasons then. And so I, I think a, a, just a healthy question is just to say, well, what is my role in this or, or better yet, how can I help the situation? And I don't know that a lot of leaders get to that point. Um, you know, and it's, yeah, the, and again, I, I'm not sure that that can always be taught or trained because they're sort of lost in their, you know, a lot of these leaders are so lost in completing tasks, daily tasks where, oh, I got to get this done, that done, that done, this deadline, tomorrow deadline, that they are not still enough in their head to really have any perspective on anything. Cause it's always a crisis. It's always, I don't want to look in their head. Cause I'm pretty sure it's this like chaotic noise, you know, and, and a lot of people live that way their whole lives, their whole lives, unless often a trauma occurs, you know? And that's, it's a really interesting view. Cause I know it's, it's Jordan Peterson and, and others that talk about, you know, unless we are true to ourselves and everything we do in life is it's all on one record on one thread or one, one line, if you like. And even if we try to be something else, ultimately with that, that correction or that thing has to be undone or that, you know, we, we can't, you know, it's, it's all on one plane, one perspective. And whilst we could try to do different things in the masculine way, we can force our way to future. We can force our success. We can do all this. We can work, a billion hours a week and all this great stuff. But then if you're not being true to you, ultimately you will always have to come back to and reconcile back to that one perspective or one plane that you are. D does that make sense? I think so. And, and you will always be chasing mm. this vision of someone in your head. That's not attainable. Um, because that person is, doesn't exist. You've created this person who will, be enough once you do this or achieve this or you're this role or this and that getting a you know certain title or whatever and but you're still that you're, you're still that person in your head you're still who you are but most people spend their whole lives in that in that chase and and you mentioned sort of that plane and i i think most people live 
sort of two lives concurrently. They live like this work life and they live the personal life. And there's two, and they think of it like, well, there's my work life and there's my personal life. And I would say, I would argue that, you know what, it's all just life. And I wish we would stop thinking of like this work life as this totally different person and different, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a person in both places. And I wish more company cultures were different. You can still be a professional and be a person at the same time, but more, most corporate culture is not, we're not there yet. You know, it's, it's a very, um, it's like two separate lives. And I think that's why I never felt like I settled in in any corporate environment. Cause I often found like I didn't fit. I just felt it. And it, it was always a struggle every time I was there. I just didn't feel, you know, cause I, I was, I was a role. I was reduced to a role. And I knew that if I left, they would replace me in five seconds. And and that was it. And I think those best leaders, they know how to coming back to that. They, they know how to do that. They know how to treat people as people. And, and you can feel that and not, not roles. And that's, I think that's almost an art form is really understanding how to get the best from people. And I think that stems from treating them as people, as simple as that sounds. I don't think it's, it might sound simple, but it's probably the one of the most complicated things to do in, in terms of workforce, right? Is to have people that are, it was the whole thing. It's like working should make you energized and make you motivated, not the other way around. You shouldn't get motivated to go to work. It should be the other way around. It's like, I'm, you know, working motivates me and, and inspires me. You know, it's to love what I do and do what I love. It's, it's, that's the thing, right? So you, you see it so many times people work to basically get to the weekend so they can then lie on the couch or they can then sleep or catch up or, you know, catch up with their lives. And then, so they can then go back to work again to then drain themselves to then go back and, you know, recover at the weekend. Is that work? That, that sounds more like a penance. That's more, it's a, it's a, it's a restriction or a fine, right? You know? Yeah, you're right. If you, um, if you ask people how they are, like, where I am in, in, in the U S it's a lot of people greet themselves by saying, how are you? They greet each other. How are you? Good. You, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Now often, well, it's, it's never a real answer. You're going to give someone, it's just an automatic, like, good. You, how are you? Good. You, um, and oftentimes you'll have people reply and they'll say, how are you? Not too bad. Uh, I, I don't know. Saying that, oh, people say that a lot around here. I always find it interesting. Cause it's like, wait, you're, so you're bad, just not too bad, I guess. Or people will say things like hanging in there or, Oh, it's Monday or like now most of the time it, just saying, asking that question, how are you is just a pleasantry, but it's never a real question. And people aren't given real answers either. And I think that's the missing piece when we're on this sort of, you know, we live for the weekends and we don't realize we're doing these things. We don't realize we're coming across in this way, but we're so in our heads. So what I try to do is it, 
people can feel if you are transactional or interactional. People can feel that. And what they're used to is transactional. They are used to being a means to an end or a role. And they have an internal conflict because they don't feel enough. They don't feel made whole. They, they don't, there's something missing. So they're always chasing something. They're always chasing more and more and more because they don't feel whole on, on their daily basis. What they're doing does not, their job or whatever does not make them feel whole. And that missing piece is just the authenticity, I think, in, in their, their lives. And again, people can, can feel that. Um, you know, when, whenever someone asks me how I am, I give them a real answer. Now, now I, don't, I don't say, oh, I'm terrible. This is a terrible day. But I, I try to at least be present enough with them to have a real interaction and say, you know what? I'm tired this morning, but you know what? Uh, it looks like it's going to be a great day out and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm good. You just try to give some sort of a real answer. And I think being present like that in your life and just slowing down enough, I think that creates that authenticity. And if you, if you realize that you're, you know, again, being yourself of someone you allow, I think people I've, I've seen, they experience a lot more peace, a lot more peace, you know. It's not, um, it's perspective though, right? It's, it's how you choose to turn up, you know, how you choose to say, listen, yeah, it's, a, it's an awful day. I'm hungover, I'm wrecked or I'm really tired or I'm exhausted or whatever. But then it's the perspective says that actually not only am I doing that, but as you say, it's like, I'm a bit tired today, but you know what? It's going to be a good day. So I'm giving you a fact or a perspective, if you like, but then you're also then you're manifesting or you're affirming something great is going to come. So it's, I like that. It's a, bit, it's a mixture of truth, but with positivity thrown in on top. It's, it's a realistic view, right? It is. And, you know, I, to me, everyone, there's that word happiness, right? And everyone's chasing, oh, if I'm, if I'm do this role, I'll be happy. If I do that role, if I achieve this, I'll be happy. If I have this house, I'll be happy. Or this partner, I'll be happy. Happiness is a state of mind though. And it's always dictated by your circumstances, right? And, you know, as life does things like, oh, I don't know, cardiac arrest or whatever, financial difficulties or whatever comes up. Okay. I'm not happy now because my circumstances are great. So to me, happiness, is it attainable? Well, some people would say yes, but I would say, are you after happiness? Because peace and happiness are, are two different things. So for me, happiness is always contingent on your circumstances, being aligned in a way that you like, right? But that's, that's not life in general, right? But what you can have is you can be in a place where you know you're enough and, and you feel comfortable with that. You're confident in that. You don't have to have everything figured out. And you're confident in that. Um, you can take risks and get rejected and, you know, and, and that didn't affect your, your perception of your own value. And you, that will create 
mostly peace for yourself. But I think what most people are after is this like happiness, which is again, that story they've created in their minds about, oh, this is the person I need to be to do that. Um, and I see it all the time. It's like uh, working with clients, a lot of clients were stressed to the max and they're always like one or two things away from getting there, right? Getting to happiness or, you know, one of my clients was a student, she was finishing that she was getting, um, and she was actually getting her doctorate and she insisted that everyone was calling her doctor, even like when it made no difference. And that drives me nuts, by the way, is when you make the, your, everyone you see call you doctor, but you know, even when it makes no difference, in other words, you're talking to the person who's mowing your lawn and they want you to want to call it doctor. And for me, that's, that's, again, you, you have created yourself into this person who is worth a certain amount because of a circumstance. Right. Um, so I think a lot of people are chasing these again, things that really don't make a difference to who they really are. They're just building the resume kind of, it's more of an ego thing, but the, the peace, they never get to that place of peace. They, they never get there because once this client I had, she was retiring from a, a military career and then had another career and was a student and was like a pastor or whatever, and all these different things. What you find for most people, once she retired, once her, her university was over, she still was not happy. She thought she was there. And the busyness that she thought would end didn't. It's like Parkinson's law, you know, busyness expands to fill the time available for its completion. And again, it's, she never made it to that place. So I, I guess my point is, is to get to a place of peace, you don't really need anything to happen per se, other than right now, you are where you are right now and your mind is quieter and, and open. But the, you know, the peace is never going to come by chasing all these different things. Because again, you're always relying on these circumstances, you know, because um, there's always going to be something that's going to happen, you know, that car that makes me more valuable. Well, someone ran into it and now, you know, that's a problem I have. And, you know, there's always something, right? Yeah, it's that... Um... It's that sort of belief that actually, as you say, you're incomplete until this is slotted in, until the next thing is slotted in. And, you know, that's, but that's it. Anytime you are seeking or you are searching externally, it's like that's, it's never going to fill the void. The only person that can fill the void is the inner version of you. Is the, you know, it doesn't matter how many titles, how many cars, how many whatever, right? It's like, you know, and how many times do we see that? People saying, I have everything, but actually I feel nothing. You know, and sort of, yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, no, no one on their deathbed says, whoa, that life went by way too slow. 
No one says that. And what they often realize is, or people who've gone through a trauma and myself included in there is we spend so much of our time chasing these things, but what was the, the value of that? In other words, the why, the, the why, like, why am I doing, like, why am I staying in a career that I have to work 80 hours a weekend if I, I'm, it's just familiar and I've been there a long time? What's, everything has a cost, right? And I kind of look at life like this is a little odd to say, so bear with me here, but I look at life a little bit like poker. And in other words, everything I do is how much is that worth? And, and like, how many poker chips is that worth? And the poker chips are time, right? And for some reason, I always think of it like that. Like everything I, every decision I make is like, I am betting that much time on that because I'm saying it's worth it. It's worth that. And often it's not, it's not worth that at all. And, and again, you know, people have heard, you know, time is that one thing you, you never get back. And when I was in the hospital, my cardiac arrest, you know, I, I did not think I had any more time, you know, I was like ready to say my goodbyes basically. And suddenly those small moments of time, those real small moments, just random images of, you know, maybe playing in the snow as a kid or going on a bike ride to a, a pond I'd like to go to. Those are the things that we really look at and say, wow, I would go back there in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat, in my case, literally a heartbeat. And I would do anything to get to that place again. And you do not think about your resume. You don't do it. You, you just don't. Um, yeah. I mean, interesting. So you 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 wrote a book, and and to to introduce it properly, so it's the half known life. What matters most when you're running out of time? Give us a bit of an overview. What is the book about, and how does it really tie into, you know, your experiences? It's so funny because I had someone respond say, "You know what? I I retired early. I got plenty of time. I, I don't need this book." And I I thought I responded. I was like. Fair enough. You know, you got it. But um, for me, it's, we're all running out of time is the point. And it's actually from a quote from Moby Dick. And I, I, the half known life is really our inability to see ourselves that that's really what the book is about. It's about, it's about the inability for us to see ourselves and an exploration of that. And hopefully it will resonate or, or be a catalyst for, for people to kind of shift because, you know, if you, again, if you ask somebody what the priorities are, everyone's going to have an answer. Um, what matters most when you're running out of time, most people are going to give you an answer with that. Cause they know, right. Oh, my family might, but again, the problem is that they don't reflect it. They don't reflect it. So yeah, it's really intended more as, um, something to, as a catalyst for that exploration. And um, what 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 was your intention? What what is it you're trying to say, and what is it you're trying to get across in this book that actually somebody will go through? And what have you what have you learned from this as well? It's the book does have some tips in it. It's not a book of tips though, strategy. Because again, you talk to ten gurus, they're going to give you ten different ways. That's like the right way kind of thing. 
this is more of what is going to work for you and having you shift towards that. And, you know, I, it, it's a, it's a very real book. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. It's more of a, of a, a, a realistic take on what are, what are you saying? Like you saying you, you know, what matters most. Okay. Well, what are you reflecting then in your life and, and how do you get out of that? And I, I've actually been working on it for about 10 years. Um, and you know, I guess, yeah, better, better, uh, late than never getting took, took me that long, but, um, yeah. It, and it's a reminder for me too, you know, just to kind of slow down and I, I, and, and be aware of my own energy because I, I have to be, if I, if I'm not aware of my own energy, I, I do get sick. I, I do, um, get dizzier and, and my health does deteriorate. So, um, you know, yeah. And in, in hindsight, I mean, did the, did the cardiac arrest, did that have to happen for you? Do you think that was that just, that's part of the journey and that was always destined to happen. Do you think? I wish I could say that, okay, I had a cardiac or near death experience and suddenly I am this like reborn. I actually did think that already a little bit before I, I was kind of devouring all the self-help and like, um, presence and mindfulness and all that already. It almost confirmed what I thought that how precious it was. It was kind of ironic that that, and it happened. And what I I knew seconds before I blacked out, I knew it was going to happen. Not not the cardiac arrest, but I knew I was going to lose consciousness. Um, you know, I looked to the lady next to me and I just say, you know, I'm good. I'm going down now. And you know, fortunately, I received CPR. But, um, I, I think I was on a lot of that. I I just was devouring that kind of already, but what it did do, it, it really made me, um, on an ongoing basis, prioritize my energy really mindfully. And that's not to say I get it perfect or I don't have struggles because I do but I always am able to pull myself back and say, okay, let's, let's, and I I think you're never going to get to a place where you're perfect all the time. But the question is, do you have enough self-awareness to then pull yourself back and go "Oh, there I go again, my mental chatter, my mental noise, how am I living? Kind of like I'm checking in with myself and the, the whole journey of the book allowed me to, to do that in a better way. Well, that's, it, it sort of circles back nicely to what you're saying. I mean, it's that, you know, if you're a failure or the introversion or anything, it's sort of saying it's, it, it's almost laughing at yourself, not laughing or just reflecting on yourself and saying, my goodness, I really got caught up in that, didn't I? You know, and, and that's okay. You know, listen, we, we went off on a bit of a detour. I'm, I'm conscious of it now. I'm, I've sort of realized that, Maybe it wasn't quite the truth that I was talking or I was just a bit uh, distracted or it just went off on one, but that's okay. Right. So it's being forgiving of self and saying, listen, I'm introverted and that's okay. I'm, you know, 
I'm maybe not being sincere and being incongruent and that's okay. And because now I have the opportunity to correct as opposed to just blindly never seeing yourself or never reflecting on yourself. Right. Yeah. Most people would never treat someone they loved like they treat themselves in their own heads. In other words, like if I was giving advice to a, a loved family member or whatever loved one, I would never speak to them the way that I speak to my own self in my head. And so what I learned to do is just sort of take it with a grain of salt and say, oh man, you're right. You're like, there I go again. And once I catch myself going to, to loser town, in other words, like I'm starting to go, oh man, I'm a failure, this and that. I sort of go, okay, what do I actually know about the situation? Like what actually happened? Do I know why I got rejected? No. Okay. I'm making assumptions then. Okay. Um, does me getting rejected for any variety of reasons, does that make me a failure? No. Okay. So what I'm doing now is my mind is sort of running away again. And I, I think I don't say that that never happens anymore, that I, I don't have those thoughts. What I say is I can see them better. You know, I think a lot of gurus out there say, oh, this is the path to enlightenment and you'll never have these thoughts again. I don't know if that is something that is realistic for me, but I think, again, I grew up with this like terrible anxiety, terrible low self-esteem, bad self-talk and so forth. But I think it's treating myself with a little bit more love. And like with clients, I say, you know, if, if you mess up, you know, every day can be a redo if you want it to, you know, every day is an experiment and trial and error. You mess up today. You didn't do what you intended. Okay. Do it again. Okay. You didn't do it again. Or do it again. And every, every day is a redo. And, and that's the sort of grace that you can extend to yourself too, not just other people. And I, I think there's acceptance there to say, you know what, give yourself permission to have boundaries, to, to care about yourself. And if other people don't like it, you know, um, that can be okay too. That can be okay too. It's that aspect, isn't it? It's almost a self-hypocritical, you know, we will, yeah, well, we'll, we'll sort of, we'll not do things because it'll take too long or too much effort or anything else, or, you know, I haven't got time. And then the flip side is that we're saying that, you know, it's like, you know, it's like either I could do so much or, you know, we, we time in different perspectives. If we're looking at somebody else, it's like, but yeah, you could, you could have that done in a week. That's like, yeah, but how many things have you not done that you could you could take a week and have it done or you know just crack on and get it done, but you sort of go, oh no, I haven't time, I haven't time. It's like, okay. <laughs> it's like, but it's having that perspective of self. It's having that perspective of you know, that sort of what's possible and what I could do. And I'm just I'm curious almost Luke linking back to I suppose your your NDE, your, you know, your your what do you describe it as an NDE? I should. I mean, I don't want to put words into your mouth. Um, I, I would say so. I, I would say so. You know, sometimes people go, "Oh, you, you had the cardiac arrest." I say, "Or, or you died twice." And I, I guess I didn't because you know I'm talking to you. But um, yeah, I, I would say an NDE. I, yeah, I'd say near near death uh, experience. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. So it's that it's that aspect, but it, it is a game changer, isn't it? Because once you see that perspective, then all bets are off. Or <laughs> excuse me, all the things that were important is suddenly like, they have no weight anymore. You know, it's like, we're so, so busy. It's like, really, wait till you drop 
drop on the spot and then let's see how busy you are to, you know, I'm too busy to have a cardiac arrest. You know, I wasn't busy then. Yeah. I was busy (laughs) um, just sitting there in the, in the hospital going, what, what's going on here. And, and sort of, it it, it was so unexpected that, uh, it reminds me and I've talked to a lot of other people through experiences and, um, you know, you, you, you never know, you know, we're, we're all just here for a short time. And we all say, we know, we, oh, I know, like people say life is short all the time. I, I know that. But again, you don't reflect that in your daily life, right? Um, and we make choices that don't reflect that. And that's all, all your life is in, in terms of, you know, it's all a series of choices that you've made about what is and is not important to you. And, you know, what, what would have to happen for you to, see things differently or, or to change, you know, you, what is life all about? Um, I, I used to have those concrete goals I was describing where it was like, only if I am even a coach is a role or whatever. Um, if, if I got this job or I got this training or I, even if I help this client, it's all part of, of a role. And I, I'm, I was the role of provider and then the client was the role of client. But at the end of the day, my life purpose is ex- exploring who I am, exploring what is to be experienced on life. And I think for me personally, and this is definitely just personally, I, I just feel like for me, it's the smaller, simpler joys that that are more quiet for me and allow me to i think i learn a lot about myself when i'm quieter and you know just like a a simple bike ride i mentioned to like a simple bike ride to the little pond i go to i i just think just sitting there and watching the birds or something most people don't have time for that but again, that, that is, it's something beautiful to, to me to, to look at. And I think, again, if, if you can come to the end of your life and say, um, I really experienced that and, and, and took it in. Because most people, their purpose is whatever this person they created that if they had to, they have to, in order to be enough, they have to achieve that. Or you could think a more religious stance where it's whatever God wrote out for me or whatever. But for me, it's more of just experiencing, you know, as much as possible. I mean, that's, it's, it, I think it's a beautiful perspective. It's just to experience, you know, and, and it reminds me six months ago, I walked in, I walk in a local forest and just picking up a leaf. And it's like the 7.2 odd billion or maybe more and people on the planet. And yet we as humans could not create this leaf. We can do amazing things. We can help. We can, we can duplicate. We can do all this, but we could not create this single leaf. And there's God knows how many million leaves in that forest alone. And it's like, we're everything, but we're also nothing. And. Mm, well said. I agree. And you know, lately I've been trying to like help this stray cat and 
she's so tiny and hungry and I've been trying to, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing really, but I, I, I look at her and I just think of, I wonder what her life is like. You know, she's, she doesn't have anyone. She's probably never been touched. And I just find something beautiful, like, I don't know, trying to have a relationship with this cat to where there's trust. And I think that's more, I, I feel more at peace or at, you know, fulfilling my purpose there, um, working with a stray cat than I would in any career endeavor, if I'm being honest. Um, there's just something you know, just beautiful about being there with, with life. And, you know, is, is the cat there for you or are you there for the cat? Um, I'm there for the cat. I don't know how much <laughs> she wants that. She wants the food. Um, she's probably, even though I haven't been able to touch her yet, she, uh, to pet her, but she, no, I think she's done more for me. I would say, I think she's done more for me than I've done for her, you know, for sure. Which is powerful, right? It's, yep. It's not, I know even with my own kids, it's like, you know, people are saying, you know, I'm teaching my kids. It's like, are you sure? Are you sure they're not teaching you? And it's, um, it, it's when we have right. that, you know, it's, it's that experience, you know, we, we take the time to have that experience and go, wow, that person's taught me so much, you know, and, you know, that's why I love podcasting. You get to talk to people and hear their experiences and share experiences. You know, it's, um, it's the power of experience, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I do want to be sort of really, um, respectful of your time, Ryan. So, I mean, I just really, a couple of things, I suppose, really to ask if, if you were to try and, summarize your fire in your belly in, in one or two words, what would they be? I think it's the drive to learn about my experience here, as I mentioned, but, and just not just for, for me per se, but what does life have to offer? And, and always aware of time. It's like, I, you know, uh, of, how you mentioned the leaf and I, I definitely, you know, all of our lives are like that, you know, um, we're all those leaves. And for me, it's just what, what drives me is, you know, how can I experience those things before my time is up? And hopefully that doesn't sound dark, but that, that is, that is true. So. Oh, that's nice. I appreciate that. I appreciate you sharing that. So. Does where can people learn more about you, get a hold of you, track you down, stalk you, buy your book, et cetera? <laughs> um, they can check out my website, rslindner.com, R-S-L-I-N-D-N-E-R.com. Um, I have social media links on there. Um, they can also go to my book website, which is halfknownlifebook.com, halfknownlifebook.com. And you know, Amazon, of course, is, is available. That's wonderful. Is there a final message you'd like to leave with our listeners today? Um, I would say uh, who you think you are. You don't know how your story plays out. And I would encourage you to really think about who you are without listing your resume. 
and, and really explore that. That's beautiful. It's powerful. Ryan, listen, I thank you for your time. I love your reflections. I love your, uh, your take on life. So many, so many beautiful points there. So uh, I thank you for your time and, and listen, let uh, people get out there and, and get a copy of your book and go from there. So thank you. I appreciate you. Of course. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without our great guests taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.